Welcome to the Marketing Intern Spotlight. A marketing intern is a listener who's spreading our message authentically. Hear their story, their passion, and their journey. Enjoy. Cappy Brennan, I think we want to start right away with how good you look. You look fantastic wow. today. I'm flattered. Yeah. What Can you kind of maybe describe for the people listening what you are wearing? Yeah, well, I'll first and foremost start with the Tevas. Um, had these since I was a freshman in high school, you know, lifeguarding in the summer. Mm. It's a great purchase. So how old does that make these? Seven years. Seven or eight years. Yep. Wow. Almost a decade. You know, these have seen better days. The shorts, probably in high school as well, a couple of holes in there, paint marks, you know. You uh, acquire some digs in your clothing as you go on and they're then the, vintage now. yeah exactly they're vintage and that's like the that's the wave mm-hmm. um and then the vest this was freshman year at st thomas halloween costume mm. okay never never got rid of it my mom actually tried hiding it from me and i found it this past summer right before i moved to the twin cities i was like there's the vest it's well, coming with what was the original halloween costume it was speedy gonzalez yes yeah, I was wearing like running shorts, the vest, you know, running shoes. Nothing under the vest though, so. Wow. A little scandalous. Risque. But still looking good. Yeah, looking good. Yeah, my guns are just like yeah. popping out of the vest. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Popping. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> looking fierce. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. Well, welcome to the show, dude. I mean, it's. Happy to be here. We're excited to have you, man. It's, I mean, to give a little background for the Mark interns, you and I talked for, me, you, and Jack Burke talked for three hours. Yeah. The time flew by last week. That was, that was on the podcast. Didn't record anything. Sometimes yeah. conversations are be- best left unrecorded, but it was good enough and great enough to the point where I was like, this guy needs to come on this podcast and bless us. Yeah, well, and I, I totally agree. I think it was a discussion worth sort of promulgating through the waves of radio mm. or podcast waves. If you will. Yeah. If I will. Mm. If I may. <laughs> well, let's start here. Um Went to St. Thomas. That's how we know you. We know you through our good friend, our producer right here, Jack Burke, who uh, we're excited to hear your nice baritone voice to this uh, fourth mic, Jack. Let's let's get this a little test. Hey. <laughs> hey. There he is, hey. I don't know, bub. The Shirts Off podcast for yeah. Jack Burke on this <laughs> You guys one. can see Jack Burke oh right gosh. now. It's hot. It's a hot Saturday morning. <laughs> oh, you look so good, Jack. But I do want to um, get have you give a little bit of background um, for our marketing interns by yourself, um, kind of your, your come up story, what you're doing, what, where you want to go type thing. Okay. Well, I'll start with my freshman year of high school. I went to an all boys Jesuit high school in Milwaukee. Hey, wait real quick. So did I. Nice. Regis Jesuit high school. Yeah. All boys. That's yep. awesome, dude. All bo- uh, but then I was, um, asked to leave. Oh, you know, shoot. Okay. Never mind. Some trouble, you know, that kind of stuff. But I think it was one of those. Did it have to do with your bio on Instagram? Uh, no. Okay. Different, different allegations. Yes. Um, and so it, uh, it was like one of those transformative pieces of experience because it was the first time I'd ever felt shame. Like my family was all like, damn, we have this son that like, you know, is not really making us look good. So I like carried that, but then went to a public school and that was like a great move for me because it was much more free much more like loose and open and like people were themselves and not really this rigid sort of mold of like you know privileged 
white kid in Milwaukee. It was more of like a weird group of people. You know, I graduated with people with all the peas, people with like purple hair, you know, <laughs> gay kids. It was just like, I, I literally looked out over that stage. Like when I got my diploma and I was like, this was the best move for me. And so that was like an early moment where I was like, you know, I think I'm more leaning towards just kind of like that type of existence, you know, that kind of just mm. like free flowing fluid kind of like, I don't know. I was just never really good with like strict authority. If that yeah. Makes sense. At an early age. Yes. At an early age. Right. So I learned young. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, senior year, I had a buddy at St. Thomas, Will Lake, a great guy. And I came and visited and got in a fight um, at a party. A St. Thomas party on your visit. Yeah. But I will say I didn't start it. This guy had called my older sister's. Oh, so yeah, I had that buddy. And then my older sister's really good friend. She was on the soccer team. And we were at this house and he had called her the C word or the C word. I'm not going to say it. on Yeah, no. Yeah, that, uh-uh. we're not going to go there. Yeah. And I was just like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you can't just do it. And then he was like, this is my house. Like, and freaked out and threw me into a snowbank. But then Will, you know, he's, I don't know if you've ever met him. Burke knows him. He's a great guy. He kind of like calmed the seas. But other than that, I loved it. I was like, this school is beautiful, right? With the limestone, like, and it was in the winter. And so the snow just like gives it that new little, um, you know, sprinkle of just like, mm. So then I applied here. Um, and like everyone at my high school applies to Madison because that's just like what you do. But I think if I went to Madison, I wouldn't be here right now. So like, I'm very glad I I didn't even give myself the opportunity. There but, was uh, there was uh, no structure at Madison, right? Exactly. If you will. So that would have been so, you would have been yeah. too free. Exactly. You're right on the nose. That's mm-hmm. exactly it. I knew I wanted some kind of like platform to do what I wanted to do, but also like not have too much to do because I couldn't trust myself at that age. Mm-hmm. I was just, you know, like, and my parents were talking the same way. They're like, you know, we know who you are. Like this, you could do this, but there's just so much opportunity to just not do what you want to be doing to get to the right place in life. You know, there's like distractions left and right. So I applied to the university of Minnesota and got in there, got into St. Thomas got denied by every other school, including McAllister, Georgetown. Uh, what other school? Let's bash them all. Yeah, right. Um, Villanova, maybe? No. Oh, no. And then uh, Marquette's engineering school. Yeah, I wanted to go. I wanted to be an engineer mm. because I took calculus and physics in high school, and I was like, this will be cool. Um, and so that brings me to my first semester here. I was taking way too many. Like, I took Calc 2, dropped it. Um, was taking well, so I wanted to be an engineer and pre med. Mm. Oh. Yeah, and my my advisor was just like, dude, like, pick one, man. Like, <laughs> you know, and that was my problem is that I was s- interested in so many different things, but like, how do you sort of put those together into one cohesive like movement where you can utilize all of your capacities and like put that into one just really vigorous and powerful drive to what you want to do with your life. And so that was kind of my first two years where like I'm interested in bio or and then chemistry just kind of like struck me on the head because I took it in high school. But 
it was taught by someone that had worked in the office of my high school because the teacher had like dropped out last second for the class and just didn't learn any chemistry and so I came to St. Thomas freshman chemistry not knowing anything and so I was like overwhelmed I was like this is dope like this stuff is wild and I had a great professor it was his first time teaching a college course and so he was just as nervous as I was and it was awesome and yeah so I really liked chemistry and biology and biology is very um like process driven and very sort of broad scope and I really liked that and then the chemistry as I got further and further in school started to explain the biology that I found so interesting and so that's where I ended up uh, junior year or sophomore year I was asking all these questions in my biology class with Jaina Diddy who's a rock star which you guys should look into having her on here okay yeah Jill Mansky if you know who that also is. a rock star yeah the faculty at in the biology department is just rock solid at St. Thomas so and I would ask her these questions and she was like just wait till biochem like just wait till biochem this will all be answered for you like you can start to answer your own questions once you get to that course and so junior year I took that course and it just like changed me changed my perspective on like life in general right because we're just like walking chemical reactions and it's like so purposeful and so logical that each step is the way it is if that makes sense mm. and so it 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 ultimately do you have an example though just to elaborate on that mm. real quick uh well i mean just look at like dna like we have all this information coded into nucleotides right mm-hmm. and, and their polymers are just one after the other but it's a language right it's it's just like writing down a sentence you look at that piece of paper you read something right it's the same thing we have proteins that can read those messages and transcribe them and translate them and then we make rna from that and then there's a ribosome that takes the rna and makes a protein and it's just like you start to think like that makes sense that an organism would have to organize that, right? Because if it's not organized, it's just going to be chaos. And so we're like organized chaos. If that, like, and that's just like crazy to me. Like, yeah. And so learning more and more about it, like how we discovered it, where we're going with it, um, sort of the process by which you can start to s- sort of piece it all together. Like what is this thing we call life and then you can start to answer and ask really deep fundamental questions and so that's why i loved biochemistry it's just like crazy you know and so i i was just like struck on the head like this is what i want to be doing because there's also physics there's chemistry and there's biology and like and calculus so i loved it it was like the amalgamation of all the different pieces of school that i was really into and so found myself majoring in biochemistry with like 17 other kids at St. Thomas and loved it. 17 on the bio. Wow. Didn't know that. Yeah. That's incredible that you had a class like that impact you that much. And I think that's the coolest thing that you, you recognize it and took full advantage of it. Exactly. And and I think that's, that's like advice, right? For any kid in about to go to college. And so I was so privileged to have the opportunity to talk to seniors in high school, like smart seniors though. There was eight kids in my AP chemistry class and it was like giving them that insight like this class changed me but i was also so open to it you know you have to be open to restructuring the way you look at things right because if you're not open to that 
you're constantly going to have one view or one sort of take on any issue or any um, process or any, and this, and this is not just biochemistry. It was more like you could be in a history class and be like, Hernan Cortez was a badass, you know, went all the way to South America. Spain was like, yeah, dude, come back. We'll, we'll like get you set up with a bigger ship and more people and we'll count burned his ships burned all of them stayed there with the 23 other cruisemen or crew of the ship and conquered 26 million people like i learned that and i was like holy shit like people can do crazy things and so once you start to open up to those courses in college and change your perspective you can start to sort of piece together your own um sort of view of who you are and what you want to do I love that. It's it's looking at the world with a different lens and it's telling that story. And when you're able to research, you're able to dedicate some time, you're able to explore those other portals, if you will. Um, it's very telling to not only that story, that part of history, that part of time, but then it can translate so much better and so much easier back on how you would look at yourself maybe with that exactly. lens. How would I be, t- how is my story going to be told to people right i mean it's it's kind of a bigger more macro legacy type thing exactly. but that's super cool so you you said ap chem or ap bio ap bi- chemistry ap chemistry so you were at a high school you were teaching at high school that was what you did right after graduation correct okay how, how did that yeah, come, that was <laughs> holy cow where do i start there oh a my whole God. year it, yeah a whole year yeah it was crazy it was the most challenging thing i've ever done in my entire life hands down it was like well, I'm, I was 22 when I started, and those kids were 18. So it's like right off the bat, I'm only four years older than these kids. And the south side of Chicago is very uh, – it's very different. It's I honestly think it's like its own community sort of shelled off from the entire world in some ways, but in, in good ways and then sometimes in bad ways. But holy cow. It was, it was just like I show up on the first day, and I'm like, how's everyone doing? And we played this game that I learned where you crumple or you write some facts about yourself on a sheet of paper. You crumple it up and have a snowball fight and you read it off. And in all of my other classes, the sophomore classes I taught, it took, you know, a long time. Took the whole first class, right? The syllabus class. But the AP kids were just like, this is dumb. Like, let's go. Like, let's learn some stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so I did not prepare a lecture for them. And so the first day I'm just like, holy shit, I'm, I'm not prepared for these kids right now. And so I just fell back on like, well, let's just start talking about how we found the atom, you know? And you just go through all these experiments and the three or 400 years it took us to get modern atomic theory. And then from that day on, they were like, because I think they knew I didn't have anything. I didn't have anything in front of me. I didn't have notes. I didn't have a book. I was kind of just like, well, who knows something about this? And then we started with that question and just moved into that. And so... It was just like such a dynamic process for myself because it taught me so many like shortcomings that I have, like patience, um, like stress management, time management. um, And it also sort of, and this is kind of something I'd like to talk about is like, it taught me how to restructure and recalibrate my hierarchy of values. It's Mm. like, because those hierarchies ultimately, I th- I think, form and sort of have a big impact on how you do things or why you do things, right? Because if you rank 
certain values of yours above others, you're going to sort of say, okay, well, I need to follow like my, my patience, right? You're teaching a class and you've got like four kids that really, really get it. And the whole other class is just like, damn it, I don't understand this, right? And it's like this, whatever concept you want to talk about in chemistry, it can be dense, right? It can be thick. And kids hate it sometimes. And so me being impatient, I'm like, mm, we should just move on. I want to get to all this other stuff because my, a value of mine is like, I want to strike the kids over the head with the same epiphanies in chemistry that I had. Like give those four kids the, that ultimate experience. But then another part of me is like, I'm not here for four kids. I'm here for every kid, you know? So which one takes precedent? And so it was in those moments where you're like, you know what? I'm just going to have everyone like, okay, just pause, pause. Everyone just put your stuff down. Like, let's just talk about what we're doing right now. And then that would happen all the time. And it worked, you know? And I learned that me just reaching out to the the kids that were like rock stars in the class, that's not how you want to do it. You And even in life, you don't want to just connect with someone that's on the same page as you, right? You want to be able to broaden your horizon or your sort of reach or your your capacity to connect with someone and it, it doesn't have to be someone on the same wavelength right and so did that come through experience did were some were teachers giving you uh advice on that regard or were you quickly realizing like oh i'm playing the game of almost favoritism i have to it, figure this exa- out exactly yeah. mm-hmm. it's, it's trial by fire man when yeah. you're a first year teacher you learn or if you don't learn you die <laughs> like it is the worst and so it's that constant fluid like exactly I, I i can't fall into this pit of like well i like these four kids and i know they understand it so i can justify like oh well we got through this material but no one else understood it and then the reason i bring that up is because the faculty party we were out on a deck at a country club in chicago on a golf course you know drinking beers with all the teachers just kind of reminiscing on the year and one of the teachers was leaving, or I guess I was too, but it was more for him because he was getting, or he was defending his PhD in two weeks. And so we were all kind of congratulating him, saying goodbye, that kind of stuff. And what does defending a PhD mean? Oh, it's it's when you get up and defend your thesis in front oh. of a panel of PhDs in that field. And so it's, it, yeah, it's, it's just kind of like, it's that peer reviewed nature of yeah. getting a PhD, right? You don't right. just hand that shit out. Like you got to be able to defend it. and earn it champagne gets popped and it's a cool thing and so but he reached out to me and told me that yeah I have this one kid in my class he's like yeah Mr. Brennan is like the only teacher I've ever had that like focuses and makes sure that everyone understands everything before we move on and that like touched me and because that was like absolute vindication for that decision that I made I was like you know what I'm just gonna like see what happens if I do this right because my whole life I had been living like, ah, you know, we'll just kind of brush off the kids that like are frustrating me or that are making my life more difficult. And so I realized like embrace that difficult child or that difficult experience or that difficult encounter or that connection with someone and make something of it or do what you can. Because then in that interaction, something true about yourself emerges, right? And so I learned then that I'm just here to try and reach people wherever I can. And so 
by that you mean wherever stage in life that yeah, exactly. they are in it, the learning process exactly. yeah. and it's mm. it's and so that's what i want to do is teach ultimately at at a university level because that i think is the penultimate time when you're like i'm going to do something with my life what do i want to do and how am i going to do it and so having perspective as you know an adult and someone that's been through that process you have so much information to impart on these burgeoning young adults and professionals that you could be like okay you know give them any example any anecdote any like story that you want to give but you you can't just do it to one kid you know you have to be able to do it to everyone because they'll think back and be like you know I learned a lot from that person and so that's kind of the role I want to play in people's lives because I think that that validates my existence is like connecting Mm -hmm. with people and trying to share what I've learned because ultimately I want to like we were talking about this for that three that three hour conversations like how do you like share experiences like truly share them and it's it's just like it's that that's that's an issue that I think is so pervasive today in our world is like how do you truly experience someone in the right way like not the facade of like oh well i took a picture with them we went to the bar yeah yeah. it's like no how do you really truly share an experience like yeah i felt the same way you felt you know how how do we i mean language is our best bet for now but it's just that kind of stuff and so that's kind of where i want to go with my life and that's why that sort of backstory leads me into what I'd want to be doing and what you're doing right now. I mean, it is so cool to watch the cogs turn Cavi Brendan's head. It is yeah. beautiful, <laughs> honestly. And what I really just appreciate is your awareness to recognize you have a gift, recognize what you want to do. And now you're motivated as hell to share that with the world. And you know, that impact is so important. Like I think about cause I was an engineer and, I think back to all the teachers that I had in, um, at St. Thomas and John Abraham in particular. He's been on this podcast before. He's a heat transfer professor. He's nation-leading uh, climate change scientist Sweet. and does a lot of cool work in Africa with renewable energy. Um, but that guy, like, literally had the biggest impact on me in terms of, like, the, the class is so simple. It's heat transfer. Yeah. You're learning how you feel warm and hot, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> But the impact that that dude had on me because of his mantra and how he taught, which is very similar to like, we all need to be on the same page. I'm teaching it this way so that you guys can understand the core concept of Mm -hmm. why we're learning this. Like that right there just made such a huge impact on me. And I respect the hell out of the guys like yourself, like Abraham, like any professor that is willing to put themselves on the line to do such thing. So thank you. And and you're getting ready to just set sail on it too. Yeah, no, I mean it's it's just exciting stuff, you know. I have a question for you guys. Mm. Do you think that um, you like enjoyed the liberal arts nature of St. Thomas? And and this is not me like probing you. I'm just curious, like because I think that's something that we could talk about as well. Is like, yeah, what purpose does that ultimately serve for an education? I think uh, one thing like the liberal arts thing provided for me and maybe even goes back to our um, conversation earlier about perspective. I think when you're able to maybe take a theology class or a philosophy class, that's very off the cuff. 
it really depends. You get in what you put it, or you get in, or you get out what you put in. Um, one class in particular that I had was um, the history of 1900s to the current time. And I got nice. to learn about the history from that point on. The the guy who teaches it, Zoltnaj, um, he uh, is a nice name. Yeah, Zoltnaj. he's uh, hold on, yeah, j- jump in here, Jack. Because didn't you have his, his class as yeah, well? Yeah, that was one of my favorite classes of college. I yeah. actually saved it to the last semester because I knew how great it was. Yeah, and so this guy grew up in Hungary, in communist Hungary, and came over here eventually. But he basically tells that whole story of himself, and then ties in all of his knowledge of history and like it the way like just how much fun that was to learn about the perspective just helped me overall as a person and everything along with that I, that's just one class but i think the liberal arts education for the most part is like a great a great additive to the college experience what, what do you think andrew yeah from from early on i looked at it as a burden financially and it was just like oh like you're forcing me to take these classes and this many of them specifically like theology. Um, and then, uh, I did really appreciate the philosophy. I thought they could have done a better job at like providing more diversity in those ones. Mm -hmm. I, I think it was great in the sense of it opened me up and made me take classes that I probably wouldn't have. Um, but there was the sense of just like, dude, I don't want to pay for this. Yeah. And I, I think that's, that's the bigger issue is like, paying for that like that stuff yeah right it i think that that's a failure not of saint thomas but of like the nature of what school is supposed to be right it's supposed to just be a freedom to explore your curiosities and if you're financially sort of fettered you don't have the opportunity to be like oh i can without any qualm or any like thing in the back of my head being like uh you you're not going to make a lot of money doing this and you're going to waste four grand on this class. Like if you could just have the freedom to be, a, excuse me, if you could have the freedom to just like go and take a class and get out of it, everything you put in, that would be ideal for me. And so that's kind of what I was just asking is like, it's so frustrating that we don't have the freedom to just learn what we want to learn. I mean, we do with like technology and phones in our pockets and that kind of stuff, but and it makes sense to the to the art of crafting a mind so that they can be a productive uh, person in exactly. society. And that's like their intention behind is like, I want to give them this so that they can learn that and become a, a very healthy contributor to society. And that's like why you have to take certain classes as a ma- in majors. Like for your guys is a great examples of like, you need these type of exactly. statistical skills. Yeah. And, uh, you need and, physics, and, and chemistry, yeah. this, that, and other to get to the next stage. For exactly. sure. And then for me, I'm a business major. So it's like, all right, he's got to know accounting. He's got to know uh, finance. He's got to know uh, all these different variations of what goes into business. And then I get into my major and it's called leadership and management. And they literally made up a bunch of classes that they thought were best. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, what am I doing? Is this really a value to me? Like I, I picked it because I wanted to learn how to be a successful, um, th- not necessarily a leader, but to see what it's like to stand up as a leader, but also see how to be a great follower and then see how organizations are built mm-hmm. and what it goes into all those different cogs and that. But it's like, what are you really teaching a, a, a student when it comes to that type of uh, theoretical, almost, if you will, major? And that's when I was just like, I really struggled with what I picked. And I was like, I, 
I didn't want to be a finance. I didn't want those accounting, yeah. those same type of ideas that you guys had. I wanted more theory in it inside business. And uh, that's when you you get to, they got to pick how it was uh, portrayed. And that's when it gets a little dangerous. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And I think that's pretty cool though that I, I, my, I a thought that I have about the business world is that humans are so idiosyncratic that that teacher has one experience of business or, or th- that professor and then another professor will have a different experience. And so I feel like that's how you impart your wisdom though is like I've had this experience with this business or this because I lived with um, Matt. He was a business major and at the U of M there was these former CEOs that were like, well, when I was in this position, maybe this is what I want to go and do and like that kind of stuff. So, I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Do you think you found, like Andrew, did you think you found more um, value in learning to be a leader and a follower through the experiences of you being in those situations or more so learning, like Cavi's saying, from the wisdom of teacher professors that were, that were in positions of leadership and management. I think there were, it was few and far in between when I had a really awesome teacher that um, was able to have that impact of like the John Abraham type thing. And I'm like, those are in the, your biochem class. Those are obviously significant events. Like you can't have that in every single class. No. Um, But I, I, if I were to describe, I don't think I, I I can think of one class. It was business ethics that I took, which Mm -hmm. was with Christopher Michelson or Mickelson I always struggle pronouncing his last name, but uh, he his class was awesome, and he definitely did a great job of like making sure the students like understood the mm-hmm. art of ethics in business because of what our society is currently doing with everything, yeah. whether it's like climate or it's like handling your, yourself across from an individual, treating them as a human type mm-hmm. of thing. Um, so that was like really really cool. But other than that, it felt like I could YouTube it. Great point. I also think, um, oh, where was I going to go with it? Oh no. Um, yeah. And I, that's awesome. I think it's, it, it speaks to that, but even at the same time, I think, uh, just like the business ethic things kind of messes me up sometimes. Like it, it, cause it's so like, yeah, it, business is so widespread, right? Like there's so many businesses, like how can you learn about business mm-hmm. you know like i don't i'm not saying hey yeah, pick well, a lane right it, it, but yeah. how do you what how yeah. do you go so wide and make it like project that wisdom i don't know so here's like one of the examples of why the class was really cool okay it started off with like the very first class was the that old uh um scenario of when you're in when a train's driving on a train tracks oh, and it's either you, push or like, you, there's a little kid uh but there's a bridge that's like uh going it's closing and the little kids underneath the bridge. So if it closes, the little kid dies, but if the bridge doesn't close, everyone on the train dies. And the father is the conductor on the, is pulling the thing on the, uh, the mm-hmm. to close or raise the bridge. What do you do? And that was, that was like the first thing that we did. And we had, and we like, we had to split up into <laughs> sides of the room and you had to defend like why you were on that side of the room. Damn. Holy smokes. Like it, it was wow. difficult. That's good. Yeah. Wow, that's cool though. That's challenging. You know, in uh, so from that end, it's like not specifically business yeah. oriented. It's teaching you like, like, and then applying that into the business sense. Yes, absolutely. Um, one thing though, I actually just remember this. So, um, Kavi, I don't know how long you've been listening to the back pocket, um, but we started out with like interviewing friends, and then we grew to interviewing professors, mm-hmm. and 
man, was that fun. I like that. being able to tap into someone who's so knowledgeable about like a very specific field and just tapping into like a Jill Mansky or a John Abraham or a Dr. Brundell or a Dr. Pritchard who does sleep and uh, Dr. Gino Giovanelli who does digital marketing. Like those are so much fun and so rewarding because they're so like yourself, honestly, just articulating their thoughts and projecting that wisdom out. And it's so impactful, man. So it's fun. It's awesome. Yeah, it's phenomenal. But I want to ask, uh, what, what, what's like with your PhD that you're going for now? Mm-hmm. Um, what's one thing that you want to study or project or put your PhD around? What's one thing they want to study? Well, <laughs> so it's it's like a, it was a, um, it's the best of worlds and it's the worst of worlds. I like love a lot of different things, and I'm so reluctant to pick one. So I'm so and like when I was interviewing, it was great because they were like, "What are you interested in?" And I was like, "Everything." And then it was like, "Name one." And then you just kind of go and ramble. So, but one thing that I've found more interest in, and it's a lot cooler in my opinion, and it's sort of I think it's like the new wave sort of a, th- a thing because it's just the way that I think our society is now treating is the microbiome mm-hmm. and sort of all of your gut bacteria and that like diet has so much more effect on your mental well-being and physical well-being that like chronic disease could like literally be solved and cured with just a healthy microbiome like healthy gut bacteria and there's so many other um serotonin deficient disorders like depression anxiety all of these like in that that whole spectrum can like you can actually start to look at well if the serotonin in your brain is made by the bacteria in your gut and if they have certain enzymes that are taking tryptophan and putting a hydroxyl group on it or an OH or mm-hmm. close to water, yeah, they just slap it on and then boom, you have a neurotransmitter. Like if you really? have the bacteria, yeah, it's like 90% or 75. It's somewhere in there. It depends on the person. Somewhere in there, you have bacteria that's taking the food that you eat, an amino acid that we cannot produce, and putting on a hydroxyl group and boom, that can get to your brain and sort of signal right it, it's that reward pathway like oh if i eat this or if i do this i feel good and that kind of stuff so okay like so that dumb it down a little bit tryptophan which is in meat it's in turkey it's in turkey tryptophan i mean it's it's um we can't produce it so we need to eat it mm-hmm. and so it's just an amino acid it's one of the 23 depending on who you talk to okay crazy people that like are making amino acids but yeah it's it's um just it's a building block for a protein Right, an amino acid, you build those up, um, and they're called peptide bonds when you slap two together. And then if you do enough, 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 you get a polypeptide, and then it folds in a certain way because have you ever, like, do you guys know what hydrophobic and hydrophilic is? I learned about it like this back stuff in the day. Is, this is, like, one of the craziest things that's, like, the one of those chemical logic things that are, like, that blew my mind is, okay, so you have, like, oil and water. They're not miscible. You cannot mix them together, right? They're separate. So that oil is carbon and hydrogen. And so it doesn't like to be in water. Water is polar. That's nonpolar. So it's it's all about the electrical charges and statics and that kind of stuff. But we don't need to get into that. So imagine you have a protein and each protein has the same backbone and a different finger that sticks out. And it's like the functional finger, you can call it, or a functional group. And so 
the different fingers, you can have one that's carbon and hydrogen. And if our body is primarily water, what do you think happens to that? Does that want to be on the outside exposed to water? Or does that want to fold in? Carbon. Uh, if it's like oil, it wants to separate from the water, right? Right. So we have, that's how our proteins fold. Like every single protein that we have in our body is constructed in a way that, oh, well, this one's not going to like being out to water. So it's going to twist in. And that's how we get the, sh- the three-dimensional shapes of proteins. Whoa. So, like, that's pretty wild. That it's just water and whether or not the finger or the functional group wants to interact with that water, if it's comfortable there. Yeah. So, so hydrophilic would mean that it, it doesn't. It loves, yeah. It loves philia, it? Oh, yes. philia love. Okay. So, phobic hydro. hate. Phobic hate. Got it. That's sweet. And it, and I know you mentioned not to talk about the electric charge, but it, is it easier to think about how their electrons and what they have on the outside of their valence shell absolutely that yeah. when they those meet um if it's a if these have if like the hydrogen or the water has more charge than the um carbon then it's gonna they're gonna repel each other and then that's exactly. the that's the phobic um exactly. interaction something like that sick it's yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's just it's so like that was one of those things where i was like holy cow like this is how every single protein gets folded and then if it gets folded the wrong way we have chaperones and that kind of stuff but we're it's i just think that's one of those like it's so simple, but so complex, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so that's when you can start to put together that chemical logic or like, why is it the way that it is? Right. And so taking that now, and I know you mentioned microbiomes and it's, and the impact it could possibly have on like chronic disease and stuff. So bringing it more macro, what are the kind of the things that you're most interested in on what microbiomes can provide for us? Oh, well, I mean, <laughs> well, it's, it's just crazy. Like, so what I think would be really cool is if you did a study on, like, so unfortunately, or it's not a, the way it is, you take stool samples from people to assess their microbiome. So there's a guy or a scientist doing this study where he's going to all these different regions of the world, taking stool samples because there's so many different diets. What's a stool sample real quick? Poop. 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 Nice. Taking poop dookies, from people dookies, around dookies. the world. All yes. right. So, and then analyzing what bacteria is in there. And so there's this really cool field, which is called functional metagenomics. And so it sounds like really dense, but all it is is looking at a population of bacteria and looking at all of the DNA in that bacteria and finding out which genes are there. And we know that if we have this gene, it codes for this enzyme that does X, Y, and Z, right? Take the tryptophan example. You can look at that genome and say, oh, it's the same thing as this genome. And we know that this one codes for that enzyme that takes tryptophan and makes serotonin. And so if you looked at a stool sample and said, hey, we don't have enough or we don't see enough of those genes in there, you can sort of start to paint that cohesive picture of like, maybe we're missing out on this enzyme that's responsible for your depression or your anxiety. But and, and, and that's just one specific example. There's so many other things. And so the Western diet, our American diet, is like the one of the worst in the entire world. And so comparing our stool samples to those of more plant-based diets, like the he, he goes to tribes in Africa and looks at their stool, and it's just like such a healthy populated gut bacteria that or microbiome compared to ours where it's like we're just grease and fatty foods and just processed foods it's not what our it's not what bacteria needs and so i think that study and looking at how we farm 
how we produce food, how we eat meat, like that kind of stuff. That like macroscopically, I think if we were to say, hey, the way we're going about this whole food thing isn't working. Like it's not healthy or it's not sustainable for us. Mm-hmm. Like, because I think that's what changes people's minds. It's like, well, how does it affect me? Not everyone else. Because people have a hard time buying into that. Or at least everyone does. Some people are like, you know, climate change is a thing. Maybe we should stop doing X, Y, and Z. But until it affects you, you're not really going to go about and make any drastic changes. But if you can prove that, hey, the way we're going about this food thing, production, processing it, all of that, that that affects you and it affects the way your brain works, I think that would be something macroscopically that I'd want to do. Whoa, that is awesome that we can now tie our diet to our mental attributes well-being yeah well, it's, it's, mental it's, well-being yeah I mean, it's, it's i mean it's fascinating and it's so on sort of chartered territory right now and yeah. that's why i think it's pretty cool yeah what do you think about like in terms of future biology as like biotech gets uh bigger as we start incorporating more artificial intelligence with the biotech mm. putting infotech and biotech together um, that whole, I mean, I've been reading a lot of like macro books that look into the future and those are the two big, big, big contributors to how our world will be someday. It's going to yeah. be kind of crazy. CRISPRs would be a yeah. great example yeah, of CRISPR that. CRISPR is nuts. Can we re-explain CRISPRs for the yeah. listeners? Cause we had, yeah. we had okay. some, th- we had some, uh, Josiah tried explaining it and we yeah. got some, uh, I'll try some hit, some feedback. Okay. I was wrong. Saying I was wrong. So okay. I'll do my best. I, <laughs> Okay, so round two. Okay, so let's first talk about our immune system so that we can sort of justify how this thing works. So our immune system, say we get infected with, or let's talk about uh, whatever you want to call it, a vaccine, right? You get exposed to a pathogen. Let's say the smallpox vaccine takes a piece of that vaccine or that that virus, puts it inside of your immune system, and our immune cells can recognize it, clip onto it, and say, okay, this is not us we did not make this right so it activates all these other cells and we have this immune or an immune response where we have b cells that make antibodies tag onto it destroy it so the next time that smallpox comes into us we already have the cellular infrastructure to take care of that deal with it cut it out dead gone whatever and so we have multiple cells so it makes sense that we can sort of partition like okay this cell's going to do this this cell's going to do that this cell's going to do that right bacteria it's only one cell so you have to find a way to do all of that within one cell because viruses come into a cell and inject their own dna so it's crazy right how how are you going to have another cell when you're at ends with that other cell right you're competing constantly with all the other cells around you so how are is one cell going to be able to survive a viral infection so it's wild. <laughs> what they do is they take, so a virus will sort of put its DNA inside the bacteria. And if it's a really, um, there's a, there's a good word for it. And I can't think of it. It's, um, advantageous or sort of, mm, that's a bummer. There's a word that people commonly use with a, with a virus and maybe it'll dawn on me and I'll get the bonus points for saying it. But <laughs> so it, it puts it into the bacteria. So if you were a bacteria, how could you defend against that, right? If it got transcribed, and all of a sudden it is part of your genome, right? So you're now bacteria, and you're making gene or you're making your RNAs from your DNA. It's getting replicated, and boom, you're making proteins. 
now that there's viral DNA in your c- code, you're making viral proteins. Those viral proteins destroy you. They kill you. And that's how, in a human body, they proliferate so wildly. It it hijacks the machinery of our cells, bacterial cells, because a virus is like, I've just got the DNA. You guys do all the work. Right. And it's I'm already gonna, got the infrastructure. Exa- I, I, exactly. I just have to duplicate. Exactly. So, now... What bacteria has evolved to do is there's um, CRISPR stands for like uh, cluster repeat. Mm, I'm not going to go for it. I, 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 I should have researched that before when you asked me. It's like me. C-R-I-S-P-R. I don't know. Yeah, so we'll it's have like, it, it, it's our a, producer look it up. Yeah, maybe yeah, Jack so can it, figure it out. It, it, it's, a, it's a repeat region that is recognizable by the bacteria. And so it's a class of proteins that can... Yeah, and so if you hear this name that our uh, producer is going to look up, it's going to make a lot more sense. It's all about recognizing clustered regions of genes. And so what bacteria is able to do, and they evolved to have this mechanism, is to look at all of its own bacteria and all of its own sort of code, or sorry, all of its own DNA. Now I'm just like, so it looks at all of its own DNA, and it knows its own clusters, right? It says, okay, I've got, it's like a book. If you were reading a book, it knows all and the all of a sudden, you're reading a book in English, and all of a sudden there's like a sentence in Russian, you'd be like, "What the? Like this is this does not fit. It is not part of the cluster of words that is in English. It's not my code." So they have these proteins that recognize that, take the viral DNA and put it in. Oh, and so every time that virus, co- okay, I think I explained it a little wrong. So it'll take. So a virus will shove its DNA into the cell. Mm-hmm. The bacteria knows its own language, right, in its DNA. It's able to take that viral strip of DNA, put it in with its regular code, and then the next time it's reading its book or reading its language, it's like that sentence in Russian. It's like, oh, this is not me, but I'm going to hold on to this so I can, the next time I see that viral DNA, cut it up. The Whoa. next time I get infected by that virus, I cut it up. Whoa. And so now you have to start thinking, like, why would it put it in a region that it knows how to recognize? Like, if, if you're going to constantly be going over that and say, oh, I know that this strand of DNA is mine and I know it well. And I can put it very specifically into a certain fragment, right, between par- pieces that I recognize. So think of the best line in any book you've ever read, right? Imagine you read that book every time, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's just Russian in there, right? There's foreign DNA. The next time you see that Russian sentence in a book, you're going to be like, oh, kill it. That's not me, or that's not the author. Like, we can take care of that. And so that's the sort of modus operandi of the CRISPR gene or the the crispr proteins and so it's the one that jennifer doudna um over in berkeley sort of worked with was crispr cas9 and so what that's able to do is something very similar is that it utilizes that bacterial immune system right so now it can acquire information about viruses that are trying to infect it it has that dna and it's like the next time you try and infect me i'm going to destroy you i'm going to destroy your dna you're not going to be able to proliferate does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah, yeah. Does bacteria have other things inside it that... Yes, but it's minimal. It, it's minimalistic. 
Okay. That does, it's, it's not like the like a, a eukaryotic cell has so many, because it's got so many resources, right? Okay. Got, we feed them. We have cells that can deliver glucose, like all that stuff, right? Got it. Or so we, the bacteria have, holding that virus DNA is very out of character for what it typically would need. Well, no. So it if if the di- if the DNA is just floating around in the bacteria, that's not good. Okay. Because then it's, it's ribosomes or it's machinery is take or it's busy with the viral dna when it should be doing its own dna because yeah. bacterial dna is in a circle so that's kind of cool yeah. okay and Damn. so yeah so you don't want your stuff hijacked so you have proteins that can look at that viral dna and be like nah dude yeah boom boom cut it all up like that kind of stuff so, so the fact that we've been able to find this this protein to basically take care of our inefficiencies has now enabled us to eliminate sort of these genetic um, defects, mutations, things that have hindered lifestyle. And the reason we're able to do it is because, so we've known about CRISPR or the, those bacterial proteins for a while, but it was, holy cow, this cuts DNA with such high specificity and we can program it to cut wherever things, specific sequences. And you've, look over at the human genome there's so it's so much bigger there's so many more um places to sort of screw up and so we've tried to design all these technologies to go into specific places but chemistry is not biased it does not like oh well this person's trying to do this experiment so i should maybe cut where i where they want me to cut it's like no like wherever thermodynamically is most favorable i'm cutting there and so you can program your crispr to cut or your your Cas9 protein to cut in a certain place and put in a certain sequence. Wow! Because that's what the bacteria does. It cuts in a certain place in its own genome, puts that viral DNA in there, and it's like boom. Now I know what you look like. The mm-hmm. next time I see you, you're gone. Dang! So we hijacked that sort of mechanism of taking DNA that we can code. We can put the DNA in that CRISPR protein. And we can have our own massive chromosome, right? Our massive genome. Yeah. And we can look at any specific place, program where we want to cut, and we just, boom, put in that strand that we have on that protein, and then there's that. And so, yes, downstream effects. There's so many genetic um, shortcomings or diseases that we could then mitigate or solve with putting in new DNA that's not messed up. With like that mutations, all Exactly, with, with that process. And it's a crazy crazy opportunities in that field for gene therapy yeah and the moral implications is kind of where i'm getting at is like oh yeah you're now getting into a situation where you're being able to control what you are who you are we're supposed to be you can start eliminating these things and yeah there's great sides to that but then there's also like is this morally correct to play we know god almost we know the gene that gives you eye color do you want your baby to have brown eyes, blue eyes? We know the gene. Like, we, we know so many genes and what they do in it. If you have a certain code there, yeah. boom, let's put it in. How let's do you regulate that? How do you, five, how, do you, you know? how do you know, like, where's your ownership at that point, right? Like, this is someone who has no control beforehand, has no, you know, ownership of, or has ownership, but, like, yeah. where do you draw the line, I guess? Yeah. I don't know. So... That's wild, man. I think that is super freaking cool. I'm glad you uh you're you're brilliant. That's phenomenal. Yeah, um, I hope I hope we don't get any feedback about me being wrong, but I'm always Yeah. Can we confirm what CRISPR stands for, yeah, Jack? Yeah, Jack, what's your journey on your, on reading? 
from what I understand, it's Cavi gave a pretty good definition. The the definition online says clustered regularly, interspaced short, panandromanic repeats. Pa- of, yeah, a, a panandrome is where it's the f- like a pal- race car. Yeah, a palindrome, palindrome. The same thing going. Yeah, race car. It's spelled the same forward as it is backwards. It's a family of DNA sequences found within the genomes of prokaryotic organisms such as bacteria and archaea. Um, And it's currently being talked about for what you guys were just saying, um, manipulating genes in people and the moral implications of it. Chinese scientists. Attaboy, Jack. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. That was... That was well done, Jack. That was beautiful. But yeah, so if anyone's curious, there are twins in China that have been genetically manipulated that have been born. So, really, we, we we're doing a research case study on them. Is that is that really? Uh, no, is that what's oh. happened? No, no, oh, no, we personally, yeah, like the yeah, society, <laughs> the world. No, no, yeah. the the Chinese scientists. So, like business ethics, right? You yeah. need the the ability and the capacity to parse through. Okay. Every single piece of this decision that we make, what could go wrong? You know, downstream effects of like this technology. Well, and you set precedents when you start going ahead of where the ethics are. And so, yeah, we're now like that scientist was like, you know what? Screw the pace of ethics. I'm going to do this now. And that's what happened. And be a disruptor. Yeah, be a disruptor. But I mean, at at what cost? Because that's actually Bill Gates thinks that that's going to be one of the most like problematic um, sort of separation of classes is like, are you able to modify your genome or not? Yeah. And there's actually a book, uh, it's like Gattaca, and it's all about that. It's about if you're genetically and or modified, you get all the jobs because people know you're brilliant. You They know you've been designed to be productive. And so it's all about this person that's not, but like feigns to be. And so it's kind of cool. Yeah, those. That's where you struggle with, you know, th- building the perfect person, and like you don't want. What that. makes you perfect? What makes you perfect? Because we all have average qualities, and we're all just out here tr- living our best life in every different way. And that's the best part about having this podcast is we get to talk about all the different ways people follow their their passions and are average and overcome their average qualities. So this is a perfect time for me to ask you, Cavi, what is your average quality? Okay, can you give me a little? T- snapshot of what you what you want from that like yes an average quality just give me so sometimes we describe it or the majority of the time we describe it as something you do well at times other times not so well at the end of the day it's your average quality uh recently we've kind of formulated in a way of this is something you really care about and you're just not that great at it but every day you wake up and you're like it's like playing the guitar is a good example like trying to get a little bit better at the guitar or it could be you know accepting your vulnerabilities it could be that deep it's like i don't put myself in situations where i'm uncomfortable enough but i do it at times and i'm not great at it type Mm. of thing so it's all variations so i think back to what we were talking about an average quality is having a fluid hierarchy of values i'm not good at it yet but like because then you're able to sort of have your own life story your life view your everything but when it can change that's when you can start to really change your opinions mm. because have like trying to tweak an opinion is different than fundamentally justifying a change in opinion right now. So I think that happens when I read books is like you, you see other people. So I'm now I'm just talking about, but it's like, I, I think the purpose of books is to isolate a piece of this personal journey that we call life. Right. 
And so once you start isolating those pieces and you look into like, holy cow, that's his take on it or that's her perspective on this isolated piece of the human condition. That's like what you're calling whatever high school English class is the human condition. But so I think it's cool when you can look at a book and then reflect on, okay, that was that person's take on it. What can I get from it? How can I change the way I think about anything? And so a book that I read that was the first example of that is The Brothers Karamazov. A great book. Fyodor Dostoevsky. Gotta read it. But it was all about like you like believing in God can help you through crazy suffering and crazy situations and it's like justifying Catholicism. But also like socialism is okay with Catholicism was pretty much his message because it was in Russia when they were com- like going in between and that kind of stuff. So it's just learning how to move and be dynamic in your justification process for having an opinion is something I want to get much better at because I think it's so interesting and so cool because then you can face any situation and be like, I can get something out of this, mm-hmm. you know? So that's something I'd like to get better at. So when you're saying like an opinion, you know, we all have opinions on this and that, you know, right, left, up, down, whatever it is. You're saying like, if you can now school yourself to ingest that opinion, mm-hmm. um, kind of take it for what it is, but then have the willingness to then look at the other side and understand you can take something from it. Or yeah, I, the, absolutely that. And then like run it through a set of like things that rules, a that hierarchy you, of yeah, values, exactly like so, deconstruct it, yeah. so that you can then construct a newer, better opinion that can okay sort of have a backing and exactly. in a, in a, in a, yes. almost a moral foundation exactly. for it. Exactly, and, so it, that. and it's consistent because you're running it through the same type of generator. Exactly. So the Ooh. book, yeah, the book uh, Principles by Ray Dalio is a book full of his principles uh, and. His take on it is he every single thing that happens to him, he runs it through this generator, and he lives by these principles. I need to read it because that's what I'm trying to work on. Yeah, so he's he does it in his own way, and the one thing that on on there that I took away was radical transparency, and that's something that I'm trying to, in healthy ways. Okay. So instead of being blunt and an asshole, yeah, uh, but being uh, open and honest and healthy, and uh, m- making sure that you're releasing everything inside you that needs to get let out mm-hmm. and and communicated, but at the same time you're listening and hearing how everything else is going on and being being yourself. And that's that, that's one of his generators and I was like oh, I like that Sounds I'm going to take that yeah. radical transparency yeah so I heard something on uh, I'm reading another couple book recs you know this is, I didn't realize this podcast would turn into Cavi book recs but uh, <laughs> book club by Cavi book, co- <laughs> yeah, book club by Cavi um, title of the episode yeah <laughs> <laughs> um, homo deus homo sapiens or homo sapiens homo deus and 21 tips for the 21st century by Damn. Yuval Noah Harari it's a basically unpacking the history of man, the future of mankind and where we're at today and how that all impacts everything. One thing that he brought up uh, in his final book, which I'm on right now is we are given so much information right now in this world. We have so much access to information in this world. The, the teachers and the people that are um, ingesting this information, it's not teaching the information to the people, it to the kids, to the, the ones that are willing to learn. It's teaching them, how to ingest the information, That's how to right on. organize the information, how to find a 
or to see a pond that has all this water and pick out the like the one plant or the one fish of information that's that's needed that's mm-hmm. required for you to then take that next step it's it's more so the teacher's position the teacher's role is to actually organize and almost hierarchically um attack this yeah. uh to all the information that we have because if we just look at all the information we're, we're given blindsided. and we're blindsided it's impossible to actually make logical decisions with mm-hmm. everything that we're given so learning how to attack that yeah. I thought that was very cool. And I would recommend those three books I to you. They have put been them on the docket. They have changed how I look at the world because of how macro he goes and it just gives you that just that additional lens is just so cool. There's yeah. not a podcast that goes by where where he doesn't mention them. Yeah. Hey. And yeah. Andrew, but and Andrew must be good books. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and Andrew, are you going to read them? No. Exactly. Dude. <laughs> I get an, I get enough information get enough, from him. Dude. He's so sick of it, dude. He's so sick of it. I'm um, sick of it. I just know. Yeah. I'm not gonna <laughs> Remember when I was like, "Hey man, you want to listen to Radically Transparent." Yeah. 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 Radically Transparent. Right. Exactly, exactly, dude. Yeah. All right. Exactly. Um so that's your average quality is trying to figure out those principles, man, cuz yeah. and they're always going to be evolving in different ways and I think that's one of the coolest things. Uh and then going off that, the next question is what's in your back pocket? And this is something that uh, you use in your back pocket when pressure becomes stress and anxiety's rising, and you need to overcome these situations. You pull this out of your back pocket. Um, I just have this weird, sort of unfounded, like confidence that, like, I, and it's a, it can a lot of times be a pit or a, a problem of mine is that I'm just like confident, like all the time ish. So like, a lot of times it's perceived as like being an asshole, and it definitely at times is being an asshole but when like it comes down to it i know that at a certain point um i'm gonna like get through it or that it's it's yeah. just a momentary sort of lapse or a momentary moment or i keep saying moment it's just like a like when you're about to give a speech or something like that when like yeah you're stressed you need that anxiety. confidence yeah and like you're just like you know what i've done this before and i know that it's gonna go well Yes. And I know that as soon as I'm done with this, I'm going to feel really good about it. Dude, yes. And like that's and in anything like oh shit, I'm exhausted. These kids are wild. I don't want to be here. But I know if I put my like give them my A stuff, this is going to be a great day. Like Confident. I will be yeah. back at home sipping a glass of red wine, reading a book, being like I brought it today. So like having that confidence knowing after the fact that you're going to feel good if you brought the intensity and the energy mm-hmm. that kind of stuff beautiful i feel the same way with that that confidence because it is your biggest asset but it could also be your biggest downfall exactly. like when i go into comedy and i have to get up in front of, of people and convince them what i thought of is funny yeah it's like you have to be confident about that if you're half-assing a joke and people it's are like, like who is oh, yeah. whom's man's like yeah. it doesn't matter um but at the same time, if you go in confidently, you deliver that confident joke, and no one laughs, it's like, oh, yeah, man, did I? Should I be as confident about that joke? Yeah, should I do this? Should I do that? Exactly. But those, I found that those moments are actually my biggest. Um, that those challenge me the most because now I'm more confident in finding the next thing. Exactly. And when I'm able to find that thing, it's now more fuel to the fire to then deliver it the next time. And especially if you're in a public setting, like people follow passion. So if you're able yeah. to bring that passion, man, people are going to respond and respect your messages. Sick. 
Yeah. It's Every day point. challenging yourself to bring that passion is it's awesome. And it's something that you get to take on. Exactly. Yes. It's, a you, it's, it's a challenge that you set up for yourself. Yes. And speaking of setting up a challenge, we set up a challenge every single podcast by asking the guests um, someone they like to see on our show. And this could be someone that could be your best friend. It could be someone that you think would be we would never be able to get on our show. We were, we're curious who you want to challenge us with. Hmm. Hmm. I mean... I would love to see Bernie Sanders on the podcast, but that's unreasonable. That'd be dope. Like if that's he a, was, that, would, that, that could happen, but it, it'd be like a few, yeah. few weeks. I don't know. Yeah, tomorrow. I mean, if he's if he's in town, you know, I'm not gonna hesitate to yeah. hit him up. But just question, like, what what would you when you said Bernie Sanders? Kind of what was your envision of the conversation that we'd have with him? Um, like, what was your intention behind it? What was the is, fuel? It's kind of like how he is like or because you guys ask about all these qualities and like what makes you who you are like ask him that and then why he believes so much to make college free because kind of the conversation we were having that you're shackled by that financial strain of like oh well i, I would take this class but i have to pay x amount of dollars like mm -hmm. go into that like his philosophy on why should school be free you know yeah because and then downstream effects of like having the freedom to just go out and do that because right now it takes so much intrepidity i read that word last night it's um just like courage in the face of absolute fear is like that financial fear like i'm gonna go and learn what i want to learn mm -hmm. even if mm -hmm. it's gonna cost me all this money and so we shouldn't have only the most courageous people go out and do what they want to do we need like everyone going out and doing what they want to do to be them best selves but to combat that a little bit, if you lower the 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 stakes for more people to be courageous, how courageous is that actually? Because yeah, yeah, you brought you brought up a great point. I think last time when we were talking about that the the courage, mm -hmm. like it takes a lot to do to to take the leap to do what you love, right? And that's why the product of these people who do it is so great. Yes, that's why this podcast is really fun to talk about people who had the courage too do what they love exactly. and talk about what they love. But if you lower that down and does the, it is the impact still as much It's still and as so, great. I want to know. So, and that's where you assess your hierarchy of values. Do you want that courage to be up on a pedestal and like, yes, some people deserve it. Some people don't. Or do you want everyone to achieve that place that they need to be, to be their highest functioning self yeah. or their, finding their niche or their niche depending on who's listening <laughs> like w do you want courage to be like few and far between like a like that just explosion of courage or do you want it to be sprinkled out in sort of a much more mellow um sort of trope of our society yeah well um, well a more well-known quality amongst exactly. a, a and, greater and population that so it's either sort of all bottled up into a couple of people and it makes it like this uh, something to aspire to like oh i wish i could be like that person who just yeah. exemplifies courage or does everyone sort of get a piece of the action i don't know and so that's where you gotta like put it through yeah. the put it through the generator yeah. well and i and i think uh i think another just another point on that is like it's it's more so like I think Bernie maybe is attacking it from like the opportunistic standpoint. Mm -hmm. He's like not everybody has the the uh, the ability right now to find what they love is maybe what he's really getting at. I don't really follow politics and all that stuff as much, but yeah. maybe that is what he's getting at. Is like I just want more people to be able to find their niche and then 
through that practice, more people can then take courage. And That's, then we can have a more flourishable economy and country because of that action alone. Yeah. Um, but like a realistic person, I want you guys to have on the podcast. Hmm. Uh, well, I mean, like, I love that you guys have professors on here because then you get to see a different side of them. So I would recommend um, asking and reaching out to Dr. Adam K. Adam K. He started, or he was one of the co-founders of Brightside Produce and has crazy perspective mm. on, like, social justice, not just being like, oh, I'm going to post this article on Facebook because, like, that's easy. But it's like, what small, or what big or small, it doesn't matter. You're actually physically, tangibly doing something. And so you guys would enjoy him. And he's he's a great guy, very smart, very passionate. Um, yeah, I'll just, I'll just give you one little story. So... I believe the dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, Yohoru, uh, at St. Thomas. Do you know who I'm talking about? Dean of Dean of Arts. What's his last name? Yohoru something. Ah, uh, shoot, I forgot it. Jack Burke. Um, I'm, I'm not sure. But anyways, it, so it, it was talking about uh, social justice issues and sort of, especially race issues. And it was like there's a there's a scene in The Catcher in the Rye when Holden is talking to the headmaster of the school, and the headmaster's like, you know, the mark of of an immature man is that he's willing to run out and die the next day for some issue. But the mark of a mature man is the one that wakes up and just slowly works towards, you know, progress or slowly chips in. And Adam K was just like, yeah, that's bullshit. Like bust your ass every day for what you want to do. And so I thought that was just like a, you know, the quintessential Adam K. He's just like, Hell yeah. go that's and someone do it, that dude. challenge go accepted. That's us. That's, that's us. What, or what we're trying exactly. to be every day. Right. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That guy goes to the top of the hierarchy. Absolutely. <laughs> Good That's stuff, awesome, man. man. Sweet. Okay, so we've been uh, peppering you with questions all day, and uh, you've been mm-hmm. crushing it. Been Sweet. loving this conversation. Sweet. Yeah, this been is doing fun. a great job. Um, the Tevas are still hanging in there, oh, which yeah, is great. Dude. I was actually Phenomenal. I was actually online trying to thinking about buying another pair of Tevas. So yeah, I don't know. Like, where do you draw the line? Like, do you keep the old ones or go with the new ones? I you think know, you frame like, them. You frame them, fr- put frame them on the wall. Yeah. Sign it. I did. Yeah. I haven't done it with my construction boots yet, but I had these construction boots I had since I was like a senior in high school. <laughs> yeah. and it's hard they're to part, mangled. Yeah. They're, I mean, they are not boots anymore. And I was like, man, I could just frame that as the dirty ass boot and just be like, yeah, that was my four year boots right there. But, uh, um, do you have any questions? Do you have any questions? Yeah, yes. Any questions okay. For us? Where do you guys actually see this enterprise in five years? Ooh. Before we answer that, uh, I can't believe you couldn't remember it. It's Yuharu Williams. Williams. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. You remember the hard part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Williams. So, yeah, that was... Five, five years from now. Five, five years, years from now. This enterprise, where is it? What? Okay, so... Ideal, like ideally, where is it? And then realistically, where is it? Mm. Is that a fair thing to ask? Well, I yeah. think or are I, you guys going to be pissed at each other? I would never radical transparency. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I would uh, shy away from like splitting two goals into something that's five years away, right? Yeah. I think the realistic and the ideal situation have to be the same, have to be the same right? Because that's the dream. Okay. Good. Um, but dude, in five years, if we're if we're being able to amplify what we're doing in this room right now on a much bigger scale across the world and just doing the stuff that we love to do at that time because we're always changing as people between Andrew and myself. It's this mirror mentality of the back pocket where it's like as good as we can be 
the better, right? That's mm-hmm. going to make our brand better. So I hope that we are better people in five years, and I hope that our scale of impact with the work we do on the back end has has then shown and proven that we have um, the ability to reach far more people than we are now. If we're if we're you know traveling the world interviewing the the biggest names, so be it. But if we're traveling the world finding that that Cavi Brendan out there who is <laughs> you know, just hanging out and it's a, it's a friend of a friend that we met on the podcast. Like, yeah, that would be a dream come true, man. Like I would love, cool. I would love, love, love to do that and have maybe income come in through that because there are sponsors and people that believe in us along the way that are willing to support our movement. Sweet. That's well said. I think that you, you nailed on the head what th- things that we can do right now. Um, we're on a mission to start within dominating the sandbox we have to talk to the youth of the sandbox and we want to start going to high schools and speaking to uh and just talking about do what you love and following following your heart and waking up and go when you go to bed what are you thinking about how can you do that again tomorrow type of thing that's uh that's what we want to do right now to help continue our our reach and that's what that's at the end of the day it's improving our reach organically and that's awesome and by making ourselves uncomfortable because we've never talked to High school, like look yeah. at it. I was talking to high schoolers. Holy <laughs> shit. I'll tell you, it is uh, it is a challenge being in front of high school kids. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you guys will be great. That's so cool. Sweet. Yeah, it's a great uh, objective. I think we're gonna learn a lot about ourselves through the whole process too. I think, I mean, as you do with when you try anything new. But exactly, I think this one in particular is going to be very telling because you have to be confident in a delivery of something that you've done for the last two and a half years. And People how follow it. passion. You guys have it. Mm-hmm. Bring it. Absolutely, yeah, dude. man. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that question, dude. Absolutely. Because you know what? It's already growth in that question alone because we've getting that, we had asked that question a, a, a ton. ton different from I was I, I, I assume so I was like I'm going to be the basic guy like what are you going to do in five years yeah. but no but it, but the whole, my what I was kind of getting at is like I I remember posting on LinkedIn probably three months ago and the title of it's like um like why I hate the question where do you want to be in five years because there's just so much going on with your life now mm-hmm. but I mean. We've done a great job of not saying this is like we want this like statistical achievement. Yeah. And looking at it as an intrinsic thing of what we want to do right now and how can we scale it. Okay. Yeah. That way, not looking like we want to be the number one podcast or yeah. we want to make a million dollars from this type yeah. of thing. Um, take this full time. Like obviously those all, yes, we want that, but that's not something that we want to put up on the top of the list and say yeah. that's what we're going for. And exactly. I think it's just continue to do what we're doing and scale it. Yeah. And, and because then I think you're more in tune with why you started the podcast like going to high school kids like that's awesome and talking about what you love what you want to do who you are that's that's yeah. beauty like going up these stairs every day if we had a little sign like like the notre dame uh play like the, a champion play today. like a champion today if we had a little sign that said every day I have a chance to win we just slap that on our way up here it's like that's just a great reminder to yeah. just like be who you are right now be happy with that and amplify what you're doing you know Mm. That'd be sick. I have would be sick. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Yeah, this this brings us to our final question, Cavi. The last question being a simple question. What did you learn today from the moment that you woke up to when we're having this conversation? Well, I learned that uh, Jack Burke makes some strong coffee. I Yeah, I think the whole pot, I was a little jittery, <laughs> yeah. talking a little fast. You know, Burke makes strong coffee. I um, couldn't and, but, agree more. So yeah, I learned that. It's the you. only way to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then I mean, I just I love discussions. Like I, I love doing this with multiple people. It's just fun. So it is so much fun. Make strong coffee, and I enjoy your guys's presence and conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much, Kevin. We appreciate your time. Absolutely. This was great. Thank you for having me. 
that's close in my heart Right where I'm into from the start It's so much warmer than the secrets you've been holding in And don't you look at me sideways with those eyes Always acting like you ain't got the time I can't imagine trying to carry what you hold inside But ooh, you got a reason to sing And ooh, you're finally listening Go back to the start Cause you can't hold 